Welcome to the Clearly Kosciuszko podcast, powered by JC Innovations and Kedco. In this podcast, we will talk to people who choose to call Kosciuszko County home about the places, events, and things that make our community so unique. I'm your host, Jody Claypool, president of JC Innovations, with my co-host, Ryan Martin, uh, Kedco's agribusiness partner. You might have heard him on the radio uh, with Hoosier Ag today doing weather and market analysis for Louis Dreyfus. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Jody. Fantastic to be here. Today we are speaking with Anna Haldewang, founder and owner of Insight Track. Um, we're going to be learning about Anna, her origin story, and um, what uh, Insight Track does and is, and why she likes to call Kosciuszko County her home. Good morning, Anna. Anna, sorry, Anna. You're all good. Thank you for having me. So to get this thing started, uh, to get it kicked off, um, you and I have spoken a couple of times just through the KEDCO uh, meetups, which are kind of a neat thing that uh, Alan Teo put together uh, to kind of mingle the different business owners together. Um, but I never really got your origin story. And so let's start off by finding out who Anna is and how she got to where she is. Yeah, so we'll start from the beginning. Uh, I live in Syracuse, Indiana. I was born and raised here, and I went to school in Warsaw at Sacred Heart for Elementary School and then Lakeland Christian, Christian Academy for Middle School. And high school, I went to boarding school at Culver. And from there, I then went to Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia and uh, majored in fashion design. And yeah, <laughs> so this is a roundabout story. And while there, I kind of discovered that fashion design was for, wasn't for me. And uh, then I, uh, while I was there, I discovered a, a yacht crew because they have a shipyard there and they were telling me all about yachting. And at the time, I wasn't really certain on which path I wanted to take since I didn't want to do fashion design anymore. So I told my parents that I was going to leave school for a year and join the yachting industry and travel the world for free and gave them a heart attack, but did it anyway, uh, saved up during the summertime and, and waitressed in our community and saved up some money. And then I moved to Fort Lauderdale to find a, 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 a job on, on private yachts and one year turned into two years and had an amazing experience. And from that, I uh, decided it was time for me to go back to school. Uh, Anna, can I can I pause you there for a second? I don't know what yachting is. I I know what yachts are, but I have no idea what yachting is. What what is yachting? It's it can either be a sail or a motor yacht, and they're usually a hundred plus feet in size, and they're privately owned boats. With, so is is yachting being on the crew of a yacht, and so yeah. as the person wants to go out and travel, you're supporting the the trip. Is that the idea? I was a stewardess, so I did housekeeping and and served the guests. And there's usually, um, say, if you're on a 150-foot boat, there would be about nine crew on there. That's Work. fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it was a great opportunity to save some money, and, and I got to see the world and, it, and, and made a lot of amazing connections. Uh, but I knew I wasn't, that wasn't my career long term. So I came back to Savannah College of Art and Design, 
and switched my major to industrial design, which if you don't know what that is, it's it's product design. And I minored in marine design. So I had this whole game plan that I was now going to be designing yachts. And in 2015, my a professor in one of my foundations courses for industrial design assigned us to create a self-sufficient object that stimulates growth of plants. I started researching the basic needs of plants. You got your water, your sun, your soil, and I came across pollination. And I learned about the decline of bees and that the issues that they're facing. And I wanted to create this concept, this pollinating drone concept that was meant to be a residential tool in your backyard. So it created this connection between you, the drone, and nature, and you had your own story to tell about the bees. That was in 2015. In 2017, I was minding my own business, trying to find a yacht design job, graduating from college, and CNN approached me and said, hey, we want to do an article on your pollinating drone. I said, well, sure, let's go for it. And uh, we did it, and it went viral worldwide. And Forbes got a hold of it and said, hey, we'd love for you to come out to Salinas to demo your pollinating drone at this ag- at our AgTech Summit. At the time, I didn't have a working prototype. But I said, well, I stink at public speaking, and I need a design job. So that's a great opportunity for me to practice those skills, and someone out there will know somebody in design that will help me find a job. And I bought a toy helicopter, took it apart, and attached my design around it, which was a combination of foam core and super glue. I went out to California, and I demoed this pollinating drone that all it did was fly up and down. And uh, I remember between I, I there were groups, so I would I would um, pitch this to, to to maybe six groups. So I did this six times, and each presentation, something like a wing or something would fall apart. (laughs) And so in between my five minutes of a break before the next group came in, I was trying to glue it back together every single time. And I just remember I still look at that photo that's online and it's just my hands. Nobody sees it, but I know that my hands are caked in super glue. And I'm just like trying to make it through that day. But everybody was so impressed. And they're like, wow, when's this thing coming to market? I said, oh, Two years' time. <laughs> <laughs> I came to Indiana, and I spoke to uh, a well-known grower in the area, and I said, hey, I don't know anything about business or agriculture or robotics for that matter, but everybody's asking me for this product. And he said, go for it. And he connected me with Purdue Foundry, and Purdue uh, has this entrepreneurial program down south where they they'll let anybody and everybody if you're not I'm not affiliated with Purdue at all and you can go through their entrepreneurial program they'll help you find your market and uh, and kind of guide you through the steps of of how to start a business and I did that and I originally thought that I was going to be in greenhouses uh, because pollinating drones I wouldn't have to deal with wind issues or weather at all and so I would drive around all of Indiana. And I and I emailed and cold called many people just, hey, I'd love to come interview you. And, you know, trying to find our market and uh, learned that that local greenhouses were, were not my customer. Mm-hmm. And then I set my sights on larger greenhouses and uh, I discovered that it, there was really wasn't a need for the market. However, there was a need for something different in pollination over in the almond industry out in California and Australia. California is the number one producer of almonds with 86%, and Australia is the second largest with 
And so I set my sights on that and I built a pollinating drone, a prototype. And at the time it was Australia seasoned for pollination. And we flew out, I flew out there with, with a, an engineer and we tested it out and it did not go well. We had a lot of wind issues. We had a lot of battery issues. And so I came out of that trip questioning, hmm, well, where can I go from here? And that was to ground robotics. And then so we built a, a ground robot and we took it out to California because the next season was them in February. And uh, we had a lot of efficiency issues and it was just not what I wanted it to do was just not realistic for the tech at the time and uh, the market. And I was I was having lunch with one of my advisors who's uh, the head of uh, member relations for Blue Diamond Almonds. And he came to me in a really bad mood and he was complaining about this navel orange worm and these mummies. And I was like, hmm, tell me more. And and so what it is, is during the almond harvest, not every almond is ready to be harvested. And once the leaves fall from the trees in the winter, those leftover almonds turn rotten and they're called mummies. Now, there's this pest called navel orange worm. And it's the number one pest problem for growers. It'll burrow inside of this mummy. And then in the wintertime, or sorry, in the wintertime, it'll hibernate. And then in the springtime, it'll emerge into a moth and it'll damage the quality and yield of next year's crop. And the industry a couple of years ago lost over half a million dollars in damage because of this worm. It's a huge problem. And so their current methods that they use is they have a shaker and they and they come through. It's what they use for harvest, too. Uh, they'll shake the bottoms of the trunks for a few seconds and that the mummies will drop. However, this only works during a fog or after a rain when mummies are at their heaviest. If a grower comes in on a bright, sunshiny, dry day, it's just not effective. And so as a last resort, growers have to hire hand pullers and they come in with 15 foot bamboo sticks and they hit and they poke each mummy out of the tree. So as you can imagine, it's pretty how, how big. Are, how big are these things? The worm? Yeah. Oh, it's so small. So they're, they, out, they're over the, there shaking the trees or they're trying to actually poke each individual worm out of the tree. They are The hand pullers are poking and they are hitting the branches, just trying to get those things off. It's a, you're saying it's a mummy worm, right? Did I hear that right? Well, the mummy is a leftover almond in the tree. Oh, sorry. And the worm yeah. hibernates inside of that mummy. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so because of the current methods, it's it's pretty frustrating and it's and it's uh, it's costly and it's not efficient enough. And so we've invented a way to automate this method. And we have a ground robot that will roll down the middle of the orchard and it uses a target remove report method. So we'll target will identify the mummy in the tree with our orchard ID camera system through machine learning. And once the mummy is targeted, it is then removed by shooting biodegradable pellets in a safe, accurate, and eco-friendly way. Awesome. Little, yeah, it's a different concept. (laughs) All right, so you're going to turn this into a video game at some point, right? People are going to be able to sign up and rent the robots and shoot the mummies, right? I mean, the guys have a lot of fun when we go out there. and they. (laughs) I'll, I'll say that much. And, uh, And then once the mummy is removed, we then present or once once the once the well while the the uh the rover is identifying and removing mummies from the trees it's also collecting valuable data about 
every tree in the orchard, every acre. And in the end, we're able to provide the grower with essentially a heat map and we'll be able to show them where they were heaviest in the orchard with mummies, where they were lightest, how many mummies in total we removed. And over time, the grower is able to overlay this information and problem solve as to why certain parts of their orchard are receiving mummies the heaviest. And growers have never had access to this type of data before. So this is very up and coming and uh, we're very excited to bring this to the industry. That's fantastic. So you went from fashion design to industrial, well, fashion design, a little brief, brief stint doing yachting, right? To industrial design, to a drone engineer, which by the way, a fantastic story. Anybody who's done any design work knows that you're constantly in conflict with Murphy's Law anytime you do anything. So that's a great story. I can relate to that in a big way. Thank you. Then you moved to ground robots. Then you went to machine learning. Mm-hmm. And now you are working with companies to create a incredibly valuable product that um, can essentially gamify the the um, data acquisition of uh, ripened, in this case, almonds, right? The mummies are what you're calling the ripened, the thing that's overripe. It's past it, its prime. Yeah, right? You can call them rotten. They're black by then. They're moldy. They're not good looking it's on the tree it needs to be removed (laughs) that's absolutely fantastic that's fantastic now if let let me jump in jody here so in in terms of the problem solving you know the value proposition for the orchards is not just trying to figure out why they get certain amounts in some areas and over time trying to figure out what to do to mitigate that you know if they were not doing that or removing them on a, if if these mummies were left on the tree, mm-hmm. what would the impact be to subsequent crops, the, the next year's crop? I mean, this was monetary losses that we're dealing with because I would assume viable almonds the next year would not necessarily grow. It, it's not like oak leaves that get popped off the next spring. This would probably cause problems down the line, right? Right. The foundation for controlling navel orange worm is their winter sanitation practices. Mm-hmm. That's when the worm is at their weakest. It's hibernating. It's not flying around. You need to get ev- as many mummies as you can off the tree. And to top it off, the Almond Board of California has set, set a standard that there be two or less mummies per tree in order to have the best start to the crop year. So they really need to keep this under control. Who who knew that this was a problem? I, I didn't know this was a problem. I'm not, granted, I'm more of corn and beans and wheat than I'd know uh, almonds, but uh, this is fascinating to me, the, the fact that this is even an, an issue. So, uh, yeah. cool. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you look at your almond milk the same way again. Now you've got a story to tell. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's really, really incredible. Okay, so um, as you've been going through this, this journey, what's... Uh, now that you're you're at the point where you you're becoming an expert in almonds, right? It sounds like it. So you you probably know what these navel orange worms look like. You probably have a good idea of what a uh, perfectly mature versus an overripe almond looks like. Um, so <laughs> uh, how how are you having the conversation? I mean, what's what's the lexicon? What's the what's the language you had to learn in order to get to the point where as you're talking to people who are in the almond industry um you can explain to them how this technology you're developing 
effectively solves their problem. That how do how do I tell growers about this? Yeah, so like I I come from the the medical device industry, so there's there's the there's the the medical lingo, right? The mm-hmm. Physiology and positioning in in the body, and then there's the engineering lingo. And so my job is to be able to speak the medical lingo uh, and the engineering lingo in a way that the surgeon customer that I'm talking to gets it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's, it's to keep it simple, really. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's a pretty simple concept with a lot of complexity behind that concept, right? And especially when we're so we're launching this in December of this year and we're going to start it out as a uh, a service. We're we're in between leasing or, or operating it ourselves. It all depends on on how simple we can make it, and we do have to make it as simple as possible in order to 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 have the grower. If if we were to lease it, they can operate it pretty sim pretty well on their own without any complications. Who are you defining as your customer in this case? Is it the farm owner or is it the people who are going to be out in the fields who would have otherwise used a stick? It is. It's the. It would be the grower. It, it. It's not the 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 hand pullers. It's it's the grower, the owner of the orchard that that we are selling this product to, and or the manager. Um. And and these are people who, uh, were focused on the large scale farms at this at this time, and uh, they're people who, um who care about their winter sanitation practices. They understand that this is, I mean, everybody knows it's a huge problem, but not everybody takes action on it over there uh, because of how costly it is. And so we're coming to them with, hey, we're, we are, we are aware that, that we need to, to be cost effective in order to, to, uh, yeah, to, to, to sell it, you know, we, we have to, we have to be under hand pulling and, uh, and even uh, say a shaker we're, we are more thorough than a shaker because we're individually targeting the mummies versus a shaker just shakes the trunk and then hope that they all come off, but chances are they're not going to. So we could easily come back through after a shaker goes through and remove the, the rest of the mummies from the trees. And so we, we can provide, uh, a more efficient and we are more precise in doing that versus a shaker. And we're also providing data that that neither hand pulling or uh, or shakers can't they can't do that. And right, so right. We're, we're giving an extra level of this is what's going on in your orchard. And over time, they'll see patterns and and be able to to answer some of the problem solve as to why certain parts of their orchard are receiving mummies at the heaviest. What's the most um, what What's the most exciting thing? Uh, the two part question. What's the most exciting part of this project for you and your company for you and for the customer? Yeah. You know, so, for example, you know, you've as Jody said, you've got so many different pieces here. You've got the actual removal of the mummy and 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 the the the, the robotics and things like that, and then the data piece. Yeah, I assume that you've got a favorite part, all that, and where you think the biggest ideas are to grow and expand from here. But your customers, too, are they super excited about the data or they're super excited about the the, the, the mummy removal? You know, so both the client and you, where's the big excitement in this? It depends on the client. I've, I've heard mixed reviews on on what they're most excited about. 
Um, but the number one I would have to say is uh, the the mummy removal. That it's pretty satisfying to see the the mummies being shot and then <laughs> drop. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, there's a video actually on our our website insighttrackthat.com that uh, that shows shows the mummies being removed and uh, it's it's cool to watch the growers' faces when they see that in action. Um, they're pretty excited to have something like that in their orchard and and even while we were out there this past month, we were by a road once and we would just see all everybody was rubbernecking as they went by. Everybody was slowing down and checking it out. So they're like, what the heck is that? So it's pretty cool. Um, and then I would have to say that's also one of my favorite parts is is the removal method. But uh, at the same time, we're we're also very much on the edge of where technology is at today. And uh, we're, so we're so we're really excited to be pushing the boundaries on that side and and what's currently available and uh, to be using the best of the best. And any thought in the future of uh, marrying your very first idea, which was your drone? Mm-hmm. Uh, on the pollinating side, marrying that drone technology with your ground-based robot. And I see, see, so again, Jody, go on the video game route. I'm envisioning instead of a ground-based robot firing at these trees, multiple aerial robot, aerial drones flying around with multiple uh, pellet guns shooting from the sky. Any idea, any thoughts? I mean, think big here. Are we going to yeah. be looking at, <laughs> are we looking at helicopter mounted drone kind of things shooting at the trees from above? I mean, I'm not saying no. <laughs> uh, definitely on the business side. I can tell Anna's on the business side. She's not going to say no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the end goal is that we'll have this rover in the orchard 24-7, 365 days a right. year, forming a role for the grower every single season. My, it's That's the vision, that this thing will be monitoring something every single day. And uh, pollination is definitely something I want to turn back to. Uh, I'm a beekeeper myself. So when I so when I started pollination, I decided I need to go get some bees to to further understand all of this. And and one hive turned into 10 hives. And now we've moved away from pollination and I'm, I've got all these hives um, <laughs> and, I, and I found a new hobby that I enjoy. Uh, but, yes, I, I love pollination. It is a very cool part of nature that I want to continue supporting and um, hope to bring some innovation in that area soon. Is this, is this system you're, um, you're uh, commercializing, is it a purely automated s- solution or are there parts of this process in which somebody has to be involved? Uh, I think the area that, that people will be involved would be when it, when it comes in and out of the truck upon delivery or when it's going back to its home base, if that were, uh, because uh, depending on the orchard, uh, there won't be a shed or something there. So there will be some some sort of transport. And fortunately, ours is very uh, small enough. It's about six feet tall and five feet long. So it's it's not really big. Uh, so it's so it's easy to to transition out of orchards. So I I want to I want to if I can kind of shift the discussion a little bit and we can always come back because this is so cool but we, we've heard we've heard a lot about the this and it's we could talk for hours on it but I want to hear about you because I find it interesting the bulk of your work so far almonds which we grow absolutely zero of in Indiana um, so California you already said has the hu- biggest number of, of orchards Australia is second so clearly uh, we're talking about a long way from here but Anna you're still Kosciuszko County based you're still here you have 
resisted the urge to, as we say, go west, young man, go west, young woman. Why? <laughs> there, there must have been a reason why. And I want to know the backstory as to why you're still here, because I think it's probably pretty cool. Uh, I was born and raised here. My parents still live here. And um, and I, I, I love the quiet life. I love being in this area. I love being around the lakes and and the community is is great. I love that small town feel. I remember I went over to California this past uh, this past January and I was staying in a in a town that was cowboy capital of the world and everyone said how small their town was and it was about 22,000 people and I was like, okay, well we we that's like the city life <laughs> where <laughs> I come from. Uh but yeah, I I I love the community. Everybody is, I mean, being an entrepreneur, I'm just amazed at everyone wants to help you. Everyone wants to be of some support and uh, not just within Kosciuszko County, but within the state. There's a lot of support behind entrepreneurs and, and trying to bring in more business here. And, and I definitely want to support that and, and be part of that change. So talk a little bit then about the, the, the business climate here, doing business in Indiana. Um, but doing business in Indiana that touches not just the far reaches of, of our country, but uh, Australia is a pretty far way away. How, how do you find the business climate and being able to to work and operate here? What are some strengths and, and, and what are some challenges of doing it? Because I, clearly there are challenges of, of being based here, too, probably. You know, it hasn't been as challenging as I as I thought I mean you know if I if I need to go over to California it's that's a that's a plane that's a plane flight away you know it's Mm -hmm. it's not that big of a deal and with uh, with zoom and everything that's available now I'm I'm able to to have contact with growers and and that community over there if I have questions and I need feedback on on what we're building and you know, if I need more information on the industry, thanks to COVID, everything's moved online with these webinars. And that's really helped me because now I'm able to participate in that. And and I really see with this past year, the webinars and, and while though I believe that they'll still have face to face, I think there will also have they will also communicate through webinars as well, which is great because they realize that they're able to reach a broader spectrum that way. Um, but then while our target market is California and Australia, we do plan to, to move into other specialty crops. Uh, in, in Michigan, there's there's a little bit in Indiana, but Michigan has peaches and we've got some apples. And, and so we, we are focused on that and in trying to navigate through that and, and seeing where opportunities lie in those spaces. And Indiana is pretty encouraging as far as exporting to to other country others other countries goes um i recently i think it was the isbdc i think it was recently they created a category for agribusiness exporting um clientele they're they're trying to encourage more small businesses to export their goods from indiana and create more resiliency within the state so what's a hidden gem if you've been born and raised here and and you you know, I I would assume that, you know, while you love the lakes here, after spending two years yachting, um, you know, even Lake Wawasee probably seems uh, <laughs> seems a little small. But hidden gems, you know, if, if somebody else, uh, y- your age and, and your, um, 
business profile wanted to come in here or was looking at Kosciuszko County, what did you, would you say that what, what would your selling points to them be to why why here? Why what what are some hidden gems, some things somebody would need to know about to be here? We're 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 continuing to grow as a community and and we're getting more unique places that are very different to what's currently out there. Um, and every not when you go into a place, usually you know somebody. And how cool is that to be able to when you're when you're going to dinner at at Cerulean, you're the the table two rows down, you know somebody, and you're able to quickly say hi before you have your own dinner. Um, you know, Winona Lake and the village there is pretty unique, and we've got Port Winona there. That's that's a lot of fun, and you know the owners know you, and 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 the more you become a customer, you know that you get to know each other's lives, and and there's little activities happening, and it's just it's it's really cool to watch new restaurants come in, new bars, and 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 especially for for example, 110 um, and how they 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 try to focus on local foods or we've got the bourbon bar just around the corner. I mean, that I haven't seen anything like that before. That's pretty cool. Um, and so it's, it's neat to be able to share that with others. And um, and and it's it's just really cool to watch this community grow. Fantastic. So uh, building on that idea. Uh, what sort of things could Kosciuszko add to make it more appealing? Uh, I would say more boutiques, more restaurants that, and and no chains, local restaurants that that really make us stand out, and and supporting local foods and and other businesses in the area. Um, yeah, it's no more, no chains. I think that's what what will help the community stand out above the rest. Right on. So uh, from a business standpoint, switching gears back to the business thing, um, what do you need? Like, what, what do you need for the next step of your business? Um, are, are you looking for any sort of talent? Are you looking for you know, uh, relationships with financer, uh, financial institutions, lenders, stuff like that. And um, yeah, yeah. What are you looking for? What do you need? We are currently, we, we got back from beta trials this past January in California and we learned a lot. It was a success, but we do have things that we need to change on the rover and adjust and um, which was expected. I mean, it's a prototype. It's not the final design. And we are seeking someone who's an expert in in camera vision or computer vision and uh, camera selections to create a more robust camera. Um, seeing something that's small in the tree. I mean, we, what we've been working with is is essentially an office camera, and we are looking to to find something that's a bit more robust. However, we're not dealing with large objects; we're dealing with small, tiny things on the tree. So, in that sense, we're we're right on the edge of of where computer vision currently stands with uh, uh, 3D spatial analysis, and um, so that's that's a challenge that we're currently trying to overcome. So I'm just trying to reach out to as many people as I can to to hear their insight and their expertise on the topic. 
Australia is going to be an interesting challenge because their borders are still closed at this point and we need to get over there in June or July. So hopefully they open so that we can go over there. Last year when we ran into this problem and the borders were closed and we had to be over there, we had to hire a food and research company out there to do the job for us. And we had to send the prototype over and it wasn't even the actual prototype. It was just a portion of it just to get what we needed to get done. Um, so hopefully that's that's another big hurdle is is trying to, to transport like this something over there and uh, to not have any issues with customs. So that's going to that's going to that's going to that's going to be a stressful week or however long it's going to take us to get it over there. It's trying to get it through there. But so we're, we're currently trying to gather information on that. Um, so if there's someone who is an expert in this space, that'd be great. Um, we're also seeking advisors for our company that that are experts in machine learning and artificial intelligence. Uh, that's an area that I am continuing to learn about. Obviously, you've, you've heard my story. That's not my background, and so I I know I know high level. I can I can get through it. Uh, but someone that is able to uh, guide us through that and, um, and able to offer insight in their expertise in that space, uh, we'd we'd love to have them on board. Right. What what is the current size of your business? Uh, me. And then I outsource the work to third party vendors. I have a, a company in Michigan that I work with for the prototype development and and the business side. And then I, I work with a local company here in Warsaw for the machine learning portion. Right on. So what would it take for you to uh, stop outsourcing and um, and uh, and put all that under your roof? Or is that even a direction you want to go? As as an innovator, maybe that's not a way that you want to go. You want to be able to keep poking and prodding here and there. So uh, plans for the future in that regard. We will be hiring in the future. Um, not anytime soon. We are a seasonal product, so there really is no need to, to hire full-time employees. Um, so once once the ball gets rolling and, and we start to see traction, and um and money starts coming in uh that that's when we'll consider hiring people um it's it's a lot of responsibility to hire an employee and i think the more that you can hold off on that and kind of get some stability within your company and some traction then you'll have less stress on hiring someone so I got to ask the, uh, the, the the softball question. The name of this podcast is the Clearly Kosciuszko Co- podcast. So those words, Clearly Kosciuszko, what do they mean to you? When I when I heard that first, I thought, well, clearly I have to move here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> clearly you're meant to be in Kosciuszko. That's uh, it's we're a small town and. It's easy to navigate. It's easy to to know uh, where where the best restaurants are at, or or you know what what's available here. Um, I wouldn't say that we're an open book, and we we welcome anyone to come in. And and it's great to see all the Lakers here in the summertime and have them share the community with their friends and. Um, and see people who are interested in and in moving in uh, because they love the lakes. They love the people. They love uh, all the activities that we have here. And um, so clearly, 
you have to move here. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Good answer. Ryan, you got anything else? You know, I'm I'm about tapped out, and I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you for closing closing comments. Anna, Anna, sorry, Anna. I will uh, I will uh, leave you with this. It's a pleasure to to speak with to have spoken with you uh, and to learn about your origin story and to learn about Insight Track. Um, I'm excited to uh, kind of watch this thing as it continues to develop. Uh, I see a ton of potential. And uh, I get excited thinking that someday maybe I'll be able to open up my phone and download a uh, mummy shooting app and you know, go out and shoot mummies at an almond field somewhere. <laughs> Coming I'll be like, I have a place to do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank but, you yeah. for having me. This, this past hour was a lot of fun. Yeah, this is, this is good. Thank you.